Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Giants Beat Podcast. This is another edition here, and it is a recap edition of the Week 12 matchup between the Giants and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Alongside Alex Evans, I'm Scott Thompson. It was the battle of the 2004 draft class as Big Ben and Eli Manning went head-to-head at Heinz Field, and it was Big Ben winning this one 24-14 as he came away with yet another victory at home. This snapped the Giants' six-game win streak, as you all may know, as they moved to 8-4 and four on the season. And this task only gets harder as they have to face the Cowboys this upcoming Sunday. But for right now, Alex and I will analyze what went right and what went wrong for the Giants in this matchup in our 30-minute time frame that we have here. And we will start with what went wrong on the offense. So let's go right into it quick. We already brought him up, Eli Manning. It wasn't a good game for Manning by far as he went 24 of 39 and only got 195 yards out of those 39 attempts. Uh, He did throw two touchdowns, but the last one to Sterling Shepard was basically a gimme from the Steelers late in the fourth quarter. They already had that game locked up. But the biggest blunders were his two interceptions, one of them coming in the red zone as Lawrence Timmons leaped up and snagged it. So, Alex, I'm going to bring you in here now. Eli gets close to 40 attempts in the air and basically didn't do anything all game. Uh, how would you rate his performance, and what really went wrong here? Well, I think he struggled. I think he just simply made a bunch of errant throws, and he never really settled into the game, I thought. His receivers were getting open on plane of routes, uh, I, I thought I noticed. But uh, when teams mm-hmm. know that, you're more than likely going to Odell Beckham on most plays. The New York offense is relatively easy to defend. He kept trying to force the ball to Odell, which I understand to a degree. Because he can, he has shown that he can make plays, obviously, but I think spreading it around to Shepard and a little more, a little more into Victor Cruz, who didn't even get a target, would have helped him greatly. Yeah. So last week, Sterling Shepard not getting a target, and he uh, he he as an Eli Manning apologized to Shepard after the game. Now Victor Cruz doesn't get a target as well. Alex, what what's going on here? Why is he missing his top three guys, at least one of them, in back to back weeks? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, we saw earlier in the year that he'd be, you know, he'd, he wouldn't, he'd have a problem like with throwing to all these guys. You know who to choose because you know there are so many options. But he's he's really been targeting Beckham, which makes sense because Beckham's been the most productive. But it's it's dangerous now. You're getting to a point where Victor Cruz is getting unhappy. I don't think Shepard wasn't happy against Cleveland, but you know you're you're starting to mess a little bit with chemistry, maybe, and that's not a good thing. You want to keep everyone happy, but then it's also a balancing act because Cruz. Hasn't been that productive. He's he's older. He's slowing down. He's obviously not the old Victor Cruz. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a juggling act. You have to keep everyone happy, but you have to get the ball to the guys who are going to make plays. And in Victor Cruz's defense, you know Rashad Jennings getting six targets, and and you know he's not even the receiving running back. Paul Perkins yeah. is supposed to be. And then if Shane Vereen comes back this week, which he I believe is scheduled to do against the Cowboys, coming off that tricep injury that he had against the Redskins in Week Three, but. I mean, I kind of feel for, for, for Cruz in this one, not getting a target yet, um, again, as another receiver on the Giants, not receiving a target, which is which just baffles me completely. But let's move on to the ground game. Again, we talk about it. It has been awful. But this performance, honestly, in my opinion, Alex, had to be the worst this season. Both running backs from Shot Jennings and Paul Perkins combined for 13 total rushes. So they touched the ball 13 total times between the, the two, and they picked up seven, uh, 57 yards, excuse me. It was brutal again, and it appeared that 
Coach McAdoo just threw his hands up and basically gave up on the running backs who didn't even really touch the ball in the second half. Um, Alex, do you think that this team has basically given up on the run game this late in the season? I I kind of I get the feeling that he has, and you know he kind of has every reason to feel that way. I mean, it hasn't been great up to this point, and obviously it's it's um it's it's his lost cause this year, in my opinion. Jennings doesn't have the explosiveness to hit the holes quickly or make reads, and we saw that Le'Veon Bell could do that. So Jennings' inability to do that made it even more apparent. But I was impressed with um Paul Perkins. He made some nifty cuts, some nice runs, and he does look promising. But for now, I would say that McAdoo for all intents and purposes, has given up on the running game because obviously the passing game appears to be the only shot the Giants have to score points. Yeah, and you talk about Rashad Jennings, and I love how you brought up not reading, you know, the holes that he has. It appears that he sticks to his blocking scheme through and through, constantly putting his hand behind his blockers to just run. Instead of, you know, using his eyes to look around and see what is open and I feel like when you watch it on TV, and obviously it's completely different when you're on, you know, on the field and you're going through all the motions. When you, when you watch it on TV, you can say, hey, he could have broke out to, to the outside here. Or he, he could have cut to the inside. And you see Paul Perkins doing that. Alex, do you think that moving forward, at least if you could look forward, if the Giants were to make the playoffs, do you think that Paul Perkins would really be the running back number one as – he has shown this elusiveness. He can be shifty. He had an 18-yard run. You know, in his seven attempts that he got, he had 38 yards. But he has shown that he can really hit those cuts, and he keeps his eyes open, not really going with, with the scheme if, nothing, if uh, no, nothing's there. Exactly. I think he, he would have to be at least considered for the number one spot. I still, uh, I still like um, Jennings' value as a pass protector. He does a great job in the pass block. But at a certain point, you have to – you know, you have to get yards, you have to, you know, score points on the ground. And obviously Jennings, besides that nice screen uh, pass, a 10-yard screen pass touchdown early uh, in the game, you don't really have much to lose with Perkins. He's he's faster, he's quicker. Run blocking, he, he's, he does all right with, but I just think um, he's shown that he has the talent and he uh, gives the Giants the best chance to move the ball on the ground. Yeah, I think that his run blocking could definitely improve as – he is only a rookie. He needs to realize that if you're going to be a running back in the NFL, you need to run blocking. So Le'Veon Bell did a pretty good job of that for the Steelers. Yep. But let's talk about blocking. And the offensive line, we praised them last week, praised them last Friday in how they have been keeping Eli Manning upright, giving him clean pockets to throw. But this week, that blocking came with some pretty crucial penalties. Obviously, you have left tackle Eric Flowers, who we've been talking about all season long. He had a costly holding penalty in the end zone that was marked a safety. And then John Jerry had a clear hold when Manning threw the ball to Sterling Shepard. They got into the red zone, but that had to be called back. And, of course, run blocking, non-existent. So, Alex, the O-line has been doing great in, in the past. But you saw Eli scrambling, and he didn't have the, those clean pockets we were talking about. And then these holding calls. Uh, what, is, what was their performance like on Sunday? Because it looked like they just completely forgot – how to block pass rushers. It seemed that way. And I think it's a combination of the fact that they haven't really played great team, great defenses the past, you know, really six games, if you think about it. And Pittsburgh shows up notoriously a good defense, not so great this year. But I think Pittsburgh threw a bunch of different blitzes at them that they weren't prepared for or they hadn't seen, again, as I said, in the past six weeks. Pittsburgh does have 26 sacks on this season. And they, they have talented guys, James Harrison, Ryan Shazier, 
that are better than anyone on the Browns or the Bears or anyone the Giants had faced in a while. And again, as you were talking about Eric Flowers, he's he's a huge concern. Like what's what's going on with him? He's he seemed to regress and he's good for at least one holding penalty per game. And I think he actually does lead the league in holding penalties. So I don't know what's going on with him, but again, the O-line um, getting our hopes up last week, I guess we have to stop talking well about them. We, we can't say anything good about them because once we do, they seem to take two steps back. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's really take a look at Eric Flowers. He was a first round draft pick two years ago, big guy coming out of Miami you thought that he'd be the great blindside protection for yeah. Eli Manning. And, I mean, he's been protecting him, but it's just not legal. So, he, you said, you know, he's had the most holding penalties. He has eight on the year. He's got ten total penalties, which is good for third in the entire league among defensemen. The first, obviously, being Josh Norman and his antics over in Washington. But Eric Flowers was supposed to be this guy that was really – going to bring this offensive line full circle, a big rookie who had a lot of potential. But you saw James Harrison, who is technically an outside linebacker. Obviously, he is a veteran. He's a powerful guy. He's relentless. But he had his way with Eric Flowers. You saw on that holding uh-huh. penalty, he just he just bull rushed him. And he went all the way back. And obviously, holding his helmet, that's going to throw that flag. Everyone said it was controversial. You know, he didn't really see the hold, but he had his hands wrapped around his helmet. Eric Flowers, is he really a guy that, you know, you, you trust going on in the future? Because he's been doing this all, all in, in, since last year in his rookie season, too, and now he's doing it this year. And you talk about that bonehead call, you can't be having penalties like that every game. Exactly. And, you know, this is his third year, and at a certain point, you have to watch the tape, and the tape shows he's really struggled. And, you know, he, he was promising, you know, we dra- drafted him first round out of Miami. And he, he, he was all right the past couple of years, but this year, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if on Sunday it was just the fact that Harrison's a veteran. He knows how to beat these guys. But, again, the penalties, they they really add up after a while. And I just think he's, at a certain point, you have to wonder if he's worth it and if the Giants are going to have to address that problem. Maybe not in this upcoming draft, but maybe the 2018 draft. Yeah, and then obviously they, they've been hurt with Justin Pugh being out. And, you know, the offensive line does have its struggles. It has held itself up, what we saw against the Steelers that they just crumbled. Now let's talk last thing on what went wrong for the offense where we switch over to the defense. Odell Beckham Jr., we're going to go with first half Odell Beckham Jr. We'll talk about his second half later, but first half is what went wrong. You know, he had a great game. He caught 10 balls for 100 yards, but that basically all came in the second half. Uh, Manning targeted Beckham Jr. once in the first half compared to 15 in the second. And then on a deep ball, one-on-one with, Cornerback Ross Cockrell, who Odell has the clear advantage over that, he's flagged for offensive pass interference. Now, Alex, before we get into that flag, because we will talk about that a lot later, uh, let's talk about the targets. How can Manning not get the ball to Odell in the first half when the Giants saw exactly what he could do with the ball early in a game like last week? Well, I think Pittsburgh did exactly what we thought they would do on defense, which was to focus primarily on Odell. And that was the reason for his lack of production, at least in the first half. And as you said, they, they were physical with him. And I think that combined with Eli's accuracy issues led to like a really bad first half. As you said, he's, he's proven to be the one guy you need to stop to contain this offense, and it showed. And I attribute the mm-hmm. second-half success to the giant coaching staff probably making adjustments from what they had seen Pittsburgh doing the first half and just, just making, a, making sure that Odell would get, because obviously he's, 
the best chance uh, they have to score points. Yeah, I mean, you saw – you could also credit to the O-line as well as Eli was scrambling a little bit, had to dump it off to Rashad Jennings, talked about his, you know, six re- receptions. And, you know, he couldn't really do anything to start. But like like you said, they were getting wide open. It looked like the Giants receivers were open. Yep. And maybe it was it was play calls. Who knows? But Manning had to look to the middle of the field and to his other options early. Now, we will talk about that offensive pass interference call and what Odell had to say about the officiating later. Obviously, that is a big storyline. But before that, we're going to go into what went wrong with the defense. Le'Veon Bell. He did get 29 carries, which is more than, you know, some QBs get a game in the air. But, you know, he made the best of each one, knifing through the Giants' defense, and he was the first now to break through that defense 100 yards. uh, He had over 100 yards. He had 118 on those 29 carries. But he was also a nuisance in the passing game like he has been all season long, setting up outside. He caught six balls for 64 yards, most of them being screens, though, that were blatantly obvious. So, Alex, Bell, obviously a star on the Steelers team, but he had his way with the defense on Sunday, to say the least. Uh, Do you think it is Bell being as good as he is or the defense just screwed up in their game plan against the good running back? I think it was just Le'Veon Bell being as good good as he is. You know, he rushed for, for, you said, 118 yards, 29 carries, and he he showed a lot of patience. He was waiting for holes to open up, and it's holes that really weren't there. You know, he's he's that shifty because Pittsburgh's offensive line didn't really play that well. It didn't impress me. And it it was the first time in six games that the Giants had given up over – 77 yards to a back on the ground. And again, he did so in my eyes in spite of not getting great blocked by his O-line. And I just think that, you know, the Giants haven't really faced a guy like him all year. Uh, they faced his eagle Elliott in week one, but obviously he uh, wasn't the same back he is now. And I just think that, you know, the, the fact that they haven't really faced any great competition and great players in the running back position kind of, you know, didn't catch them off guard necessarily, but, you know, we don't see guys for a number of weeks, you know, they they seem almost better. And I think, that was the case on Sunday. Yeah, I, you know, I completely agree with you. Obviously, Bell, one of the most shifty running backs I think I've ever seen. He's extremely elusive. You saw tons of times where he was behind the line of scrimmage. He had Olivier Vernon, JPP, and Snacks running all around him. And he, like you said, was patient, found his hole, broke through, and somehow gained three, four yards on what should have been a three, four-yard loss. So, obviously, Le'Veon Bell being that good. But in, in the passing game, the linebackers, the, the 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 screens that were thrown to Bell looked blatantly obvious. The line was moving before, you know, they were supposed to break out, you know, giving a little bit of protection to Big Ben. No, they just started moving right away, and it seemed obvious, especially when Bell was set up uh, to the left. But we're going to talk more about these linebackers because Ladarius Green had been doing nothing before facing the, the Giants. He, you know, mustn't have been on that radar because he had – two, three catches total in a few games before that. But Green has six catches, and he gets 110 total yards and a touchdown, which is his first of the season, to top that all off. Um, this linebacker play was atrocious, in my opinion, Alex, as it not only didn't recognize the screens from Bell, but Green was wide open on blown coverages. How would you, you know, categorize that performance by the linebackers on Sunday? Well, it was awful, and I think in terms of Green – the, the 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 Giants uh, linebacking core on Le'Veon and the success he was having early, and I usually say that a good run game leads to a good pass game because the linebackers mm-hmm. have to stay honest and, and respect the run game, and that leads to more success in the play action pass. And I think 
Bell's great start made the linebackers worry about him, you know, pay a little more attention than, than normal, and that sort of allowed Green to slip behind them and get open for some big catches. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you on that. And you, you saw, I believe it was, not sure if it was Keenan Robinson or it was Kelvin Shepard that blew that coverage on uh, Green to get one of his first deep balls that set up, you know, the Steelers getting the the field goal. But it was just play, plays like that, just not st- sticking with your man, trying to basically guess where Big Ben was going to go with the ball. And Ladarius Green in the middle of the field was just working his way through it. So props to him on making a big return there because he was supposed to be a good pickup coming from the Chargers and hasn't really gotten out, you know, starting this season. But let's move on to what went right. We talked about what went wrong for the Giants, obviously. There are some things that went right for the offense. We're going to start with second half Odell Beckham Jr. compared to his first half. Um, It was the feed OBJ game plan that the Giants like to do when they're down, basically, in the second half. Uh, Odell saw 15 targets, as we mentioned before. And uh, it didn't work as a total unit for the team, but Odell made the best of that workload. Like we said, 10 catches and 100 yards on the dot. So, Alex, Odell showed in the second half what he has done all season, and that is that he can get open, he can make plays, but why isn't his production seen throughout the game, you think? And That's a really good question. And I think that he isn't productive for entire games because – you know, it's their offense, and it's hard to be productive in, when the entire office, offense is, or the, the entire defense, the opposing defense is focused on you because you're the only one that's been proven to beat teams. And eventually, yeah. okay. you know, he does get going, as you said. And because since he's incredibly talented, but his slow start has to be attributed to just a lack of production from those around him, which I believe we're going to get into at some point. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. And we'll just move right on to that. You know, what? His production, you know, you see Cruz not getting a target. You see Sterling Shepard not getting a target last week. You would think his production is opening up big plays. And we talked about how the Steelers' secondary, who was shaky to begin with, coming to this game full of rookies, full of young guys, and Eli Manning couldn't get the ball to everyone else. Sterling Shepard, let's check his stats. He had four catches for 21 yards. Will tie two catches for 22 yards. And then Jarrell Adams has one. Roger Lewis has one. We don't see these guys getting, you know, the number two and number three starting wide receiver workloads that, you know, we're normally seeing. How isn't Odell Beckham Jr.'s production opening up these gaps for these other guys to break out? You know, it's it's just such a tough question to answer. I, th- I you know, I thought coming into the game, mm-hmm. you know, they'd be just focused on Beckham and you know, with Cruz and Shepard and all those guys would you know see an increase in production. But my only explanation for this is that. I don't know, Eli maybe just isn't finding them. I think he's just so focused on getting Odell the ball, and I think the game plan is just so centered on getting Odell the ball sometimes that he either just forgets about his other guys or doesn't even look at them, just, you know, focuses on his one read instead of going through his progressions. And and that's, Mm -hmm. again, dangerous, uh, as I said before, in terms of, you know, team chemistry. And we see Victor Cruz getting upset now, and rightfully so. And I I assume he'll, since he talked with uh, Ben McAdoo uh, sometime earlier in the week, he'll see a little more production on, on Sunday because he, he, he has shown a proficient, proficiency for, you know, making big catches and big big time spots. Mm-hmm. And I think um, I think we'll see a little more of him. But, again, it's just the fact that Eli isn't finding them. He's so focused on Odell. Do you think – and just to, to finish this off before we go to the defense on what went right, do you think that it's, you know, the wide receivers – 
maybe not getting open? Do you, do you think it's, you know, Eli and like, stuff going on on the field? Or is it behind the scenes with Ben McAdoo making the play calling? A lot of people have been talking about how his play calls are basically ran around Odell, and then if you can't find Odell, go throw it somewhere else. Exactly. I think I think um, it tends to be on the side of Ben McAdoo's play call. And I think, as we saw on Sunday, Cruz and Shepard and all those guys were getting open at times. But just McAdoo, I guess, just, you know, wants to call plays for Beckham, which I understand. He's, he, again, as I've been saying this whole time, he's he's your guy. He's the guy that's going to make things happen and score you points. But at the end of the day, you have two other very good receivers. And this receiving core was was really built to have more than one option. So when Odell Beckham was getting double teamed, as we expected this whole season, you'd have other options. But apparently Ben McAdoo isn't getting the picture. And apparently I've been hearing that Odell Beckham Jr. was an advocate for Ben McAdoo. So maybe something's there where Odell knew that McAdoo would, you know, call out a place for him, something like that. But it's unlikely. I'm just speculating at this point. Yeah. Well, let's move on to what went right for the defense. And let's talk about that other wide receiver who we haven't really talked about once, which is a good thing. Uh, Antonio Brown, yes, he did play in the game. He did have a touchdown, which was a perfectly placed ball by Big Ben. But we didn't hear a lot about him because of Janoris Jenkins. Um, He was in his pocket all night long. He was on that two-touchdown catch that was a beautiful catch also by Antonio Brown. And that ball honestly should never have gotten there as Leon Hall looked lost there. It literally looked like a straight pick that Leon Hall could have ran in, but he misread the entire play, and it resulted in a touchdown. But other than that, Alex, many coverages were blown throughout the game. We talked about the linebackers. But Norris Jenkins held A.B. to six catches for 54 yards, which is one of Antonio Brown's worst outings of the season. Um, did you like what you saw from Jenkins there? I did. I did. I, I liked his coverage. I thought he stuck with Brownwell, who we know runs great routes and has been known to, you know, shake defenders and get free. But I, I liked that he was a little physical, as we talked about. He should be. He was physical with Brown, did press him at times, mixed up his coverages, all that all that good stuff. And I just think that, you know, they they did what we expected expected them to do, which was focus on Brown and we didn't think that, you know, Ladarius uh, Green or, or Le'Veon Bell would be so productive in the receiving game. So, you know, we figured that if Antonio Brown would have six catches for 54 yards and just a touchdown, the Giants would be uh, would would have won the game. But obviously that wasn't the case. Yeah, that was one of, you know, my, my three keys to victory, as I wrote in a scout article. You had to contain Antonio Brown. You couldn't let him break out. But obviously your breakout star was Ladarius Green, which is kind of bad. But – Let's talk about the last part of what went right on defense, and that was Olivier Vernon, actually. You know, the Giants' D-line didn't pressure Big Ben too much, but if there was any, it did come from Vernon. You know, he had two sacks on the day, and he made Big Ben scramble a few times. So, Alex, let's talk about Vernon as a whole. You know, he stepped up in every game every week, it appears. He's getting better and better. Is it safe to say now that he was worth every penny Jerry Reese gave him? Absolutely. Reese definitely deserves a pat on the back for this one. He's as you said, he's gotten better every week. He's he hasn't gotten the the um the press like JPP just because JPP has been a bigger name, but Vernon's as you said, he's been the silent assassin. He has what, eight sacks mm-hmm. now, two in the past four in the past two games, two uh, on Sunday and two of course against Cleveland. And he's and he's just been a very solid, consistent player. You know, stays out of the headlines, does the right thing, has a great motor, relentless, never gives up, and he's just been Probably the best um, acquisition 
of the offseason and definitely worth the uh, the big money that the Giants paid him. Yeah, I think Olivier Vernon absolutely deserves every penny he's gotten so far, and he's just going to get better, and they're going to need him against the Cowboys, who got an, oh, yeah. <laughs> such a great offensive line. But our final topic before we get into our winners and losers, as we do every week, is Odell Beckham's referee complaints. We have to talk about it. Um, let's talk about the the play first, Alex. We talked about it before. Him and Ross Cockle running down one-on-one, and it appeared Odell – swung his arm around Cockrell and then left it on his arm as he tried to make the catch. And he was honestly stunned when the refs called it against him. Do you think he has a case for complaining about this offensive pass interference call? I think uh, it, it was tough. I think, you know, both players were, you know, like grabbing each other, grabbing each other by the jerseys. I think it was a little bit on both ways. And I just think Odell, doesn't get the benefit of the doubt in a lot of cases amongst referees in the league. Since, he, you know, he's, he's notorious he, for complaining. He complains a lot, you know, when things don't go his way. And I think that game last year against Carolina where, you know, he really went out of it, Josh Norman, I think that put him in a bad standing with referees ever since. And I think he – I think you could have made the argument either way, but I think um, it was a fine call. I think there were other plays throughout the game that were more blatantly pass interference calls against Beckham that didn't get called. So I think this play, I would have let it go as well. But, you know, it certainly wasn't the only time that Beckham um, complained. And it was probably the one time all game that he was not right in terms of complaining. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with you on this. I have been a proponent for him, you know, on his complaints. I have been going against him. But this one, I honestly can't go against him. And the reason being, Ross Cockrell didn't turn around once. And he had his hands up. They were all over Odell Beckham Jr., and I think that's why, you know, he is saying this. He says, quote, I don't understand how I'm running down the field on a go route and somebody tries to stop my progress, but I can't put my hands on them. So the only reason I give it to Odell is because Ross Cockrell never turned around to make a play on the ball. So, you know, obviously you see offensive pass interference calls on that case. But as for that, as for after the game, um, Alex, what did you think about what he said? He said Terry McCauley's crew, you know, was there. He thinks, and it was the case against Carolina, as you mentioned last year, with the whole Josh Norman incident. Um, what did you think uh, about his comments? Because I think he could have, you know, kept that a little bit low. Yeah, I think he didn't need to say at least make comments at least about the ref the referee crew. I, I understand why he thinks. Uh, it could be a problem with them refereeing the Carolina game from last year. And, you know, it, it might be true. Who knows? But I think he would have been better just, you know, keeping his mouth shut, just, you know, not so much blaming the refs. Even though he really didn't, he did say that the refs weren't the cause for the loss. But I just would have kept it on the down low. Because, you know, at a certain point, you're going to want to start, I wouldn't want to say sucking up to these refs, but you have to, you know, get in good standing with them so you can get um, more calls that um, you would have probably gotten against Pittsburgh if you were in good standing with them. Yeah, I mean, because of his uh, where he is of uh, because of last year, he has a stigma on him, as Victor Cruz said, and I don't mind him talking about that that one play because he does have a, have a right to to say it. But I guess you know he said he went up to the ref to ask what happened, and he said, "Get out of my face." Maybe that's what ticked him off, and that's what issued those comments after the game. But let's go on to our winners and losers. We have about two minutes left. Um, Alex, start with your winners and losers for this game, both on the Giants' side and the Steelers' side. Well, my big winners 
to the, um, for Sunday's game would be Ladarius Green. Certainly was the big winner, six catches, 110 yards, and a touchdown. As I said before we questioned on Friday, who Ben would rely on in the passing game besides Antonio Brown, and Green did prove he could be that guy. Eli Apple is my next winner, career day, his first interception, as well as a fumble recovery that led to a touchdown. And the Giants' defense continues to carry this team, but, of course, on Sunday it wasn't enough. And I also mm-hmm. I was impressed with Le'Veon Bell. He rushed for 118 yards, 29 carries. And uh, what really stuck out to me was his patience, as I said before. And it was the first time in six games that the Giants had given up over 77 yards to a back on the ground. And that's why Bell is one of my winners. He did a great job and really opened up the passing game for Big Ben. Yeah. Uh, Bell, I'm going to go with that for, for my winner as well. Big Ben, obviously making another great appearance at home. And then that Steelers defensive line, I'm going to give that to them too. They really rushed them back. I'm going to go right on to our losers because we've got about 30 seconds left. Um, Eli Manning, big loser on my, on my part. 39 attempts, you only get 195 yards. No go for me. The Giants linebackers blowing their coverage, self-explanatory. And for me, Ben McAdoo, another bad game play calling from him. Couldn't get anything going on the offense. And I don't think it's just on Eli Manning. How about for you, Alex? I agree with Eli Manning, of course, filling the Eclipse 200 passing yards, and he did make accurate throws. The New York secondary struggled, as I sort of expected. And then, of course, the Giants offensive line, as usual, and especially the penalties, Eric Flowers and that whole ridiculous. And, again, they couldn't establish anything on the ground. They only rushed for 56 yards, and they continue to be the problem. I think they're going to be a loser of mine for the rest of the season at this point. All right, there you have it. Giants didn't play up to their standards this week, and it was a big letdown for the team as they were on a roll but couldn't keep it going. Uh, They hope to get another winning streak started up against the NFL's best Dallas Cowboys. Alex and I will be back on Friday to go over the game. But until then, check out Giants Beat on scout.com for all the latest info on the G-Men. Thank you for listening, and go Giants.